three or four tapes. And, and So anyway, <clears throat> I brought it all back and started listening to it just because I love RC and started listening to it and, and um, was just <laughs> reminded of how much this guy has influenced me. I didn't know that some of the positions that I have, that's where they came from. And, but as he taught them again, I thought, ah, that's where I got that. But anyway, that's... But anyway, in one of the, the, the uh, um, CDs that he gave me, it uh, was entitled, What is the Gospel? Now, guys, we're, we're studying the book of Romans, and we're going to study the book of Romans, and we're going to get to the book of Romans. And um, if you want a controversial book, I mean, if controversy uh, stirs you and, and brings you, um, uh, raises your blood pressure, well, Romans 11 is, is about as controversial, well, maybe Romans 9. But in the book of Romans is Romans 11 because it has to do with the future of Israel, the future of the Jews, the, the Jewish question. And there's all kinds of discussion that's going on, and, and, and we will get to that uh, soon. We'll get to it next week. But tonight, I, I, I'm not going to let you, I'm, I'm not going to, I mean, it's only four minutes. It's not the whole evening, but it, uh, so this is not an R.C. Sproul gig that you're going to get tonight. But he told a story in this, this one CD uh, entitled, What is the Gospel? I couldn't believe it. And, and um, I, I, when I, <laughs> I was going to the Germantown Community Center and I was listening to it in the car and he's telling the story and I said, I, I, so I stopped and when I turned the car off, I took notes. I, I wrote the notes down. Uh, here are my notes. I wrote them all down and he said this and I thought, so anyway, I was going to tell you this story tonight. And I thought, you know, they're not going to believe me when I tell this story. Um, and so I didn't know which tape it came with. He'd given me a bunch of stuff and I didn't know which one. And I'd given some to Will Savelle and I had to go back and say, Will, give me those things back. I got so I started listening to him and couldn't find it and finally found it. Now, so he is telling a story and I'm, I'm going to play it for you just in a second. It's only four minutes, but understand this. Um, if you know the name D James Kennedy, uh, when Susan and I first became Christians, it was in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, well, where Kennedy was the pastor of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church. Jim Kennedy wrote a, an evangelism program, an, an approach to evangelism called EE, Evangelism Explosion. Uh, the whole Southern Baptist Convention picked it up, and they changed the name, but uh, they used this program that Jim Kennedy used. In fact, it was being used uh, for years all around the world, the, the thing that Jim Kennedy wrote. And I think he's going to refer to it in, in these four minutes. So, if he refers to Jim Kennedy, he's referring to an evangelism program that Jim Kennedy wrote. The program begins with two famous questions. You'll hear these questions in this four minutes. But let me give you just a snippet and then we're going to play it. Um, the first question is, have you come to the place in your spiritual life, in your, your thinking, where you know for sure that if you were to die tonight, you'd go to heaven? Well, let me repeat the question. Um, in fact, he got the question from uh, uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse. Jim Kennedy was a dancing instructor and was a national champion at, at Fred Astaire Studios. He and his wife, Ann, were national champions in, in ballroom dancing. And um, he was hung over one uh, Sunday morning, and his alarm clock went off, and it was Donald Gray Barnhouse uh, on the radio. And Donald Gray Barnhouse was asking these two questions. Let me go over number one again. The first one is this. Have you come to the place in your thinking that you know for sure that if you were to die tonight, you'd go to heaven? Now, that's question number one. That one's easier than question number two. 
Because question number two is this. Imagine you were to die tonight. And you stood before God and God asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? Now, you may have heard those questions before, but they were popularized, I promise you, in EE, Evangelism Explosion. R.C. R.C. Sproul is uh, uh, commenting on that. He was a good friend of Jim Kennedy's, as I was. And that's where we came to know the Lord was in, in, that, in that church. But I want you to hear this story because I'm telling you, you wouldn't have believed it. You wouldn't have believed me if I'd have told you this story. I, I, I'm, I'm appalled by it, but you'll understand why. Okay, Jason, let's see if we got this right. Uh, into attention. And I'll tell you what those two questions are. Maybe you've heard them, maybe many, many, many times. The first question goes something like this. Have you come to the place in your thinking or in your spiritual life where you know for sure that when you die, you will go to heaven? Let me say it again. Have you come to the place in your thinking where you know for sure that when you die, you will go to heaven? Now, this is a fantastic question for several reasons. First of all, it's not an abstract question about the existence of God or the meat of theology. It comes down right to where we are. Do you know where you're going to spend eternity? Do you know what your situation is before God? And the other thing that's so brilliant about it is it's a question people feel very comfortable in answering no to. In other words, this doesn't put people on the spot, like, are you a Christian, or have you been born again, or whatever, the kinds of questions that some people find so distasteful. It's a simple, straightforward, direct question. It's the question that Dr. Barnhouse asked on the air, do you know for sure that when you die, you will go to heaven? I've asked that question to many, many people, and some people say to me, well, I don't believe there is a heaven. And I say, well, okay, maybe there isn't, but if there were one, would you be sure you were going there? <laughs> Let's keep our eyes on the issue. And that just starts the conversation going. And it started Jim Kennedy thinking. As I said, it snatched his attention. And then Dr. Barnhouse asked his second question. And the question was a hypothetical one, an imaginary one. He said, suppose that you did die tonight and you stood before God. And God said to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Again, suppose you were to die tonight and you stood face to face before God and God said to you, why should I let you into my heaven? As I said, I used to train people in personal evangelism following the teaching method that Jim Kennedy later developed around this message that he heard from Dr. Barnhouse. And I've literally asked thousands and thousands of people those two questions. In fact, at the time I started this, I had been engaged in teaching a class in the Book of Romans. It was a class that went for an hour and 45 minutes every Sunday night, and we took 50 classes to go through the letter to the Romans. So you can imagine how detailed this uh, study of Romans was. And I had already completed about two-thirds of this study with a class of about 200 people. And so we'd gone all through Paul's exposition of the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And I thought that I had communicated clearly with my class. But I took one night 
to go around the entire room and ask everybody in the room those two questions. And to my utter astonishment, the overwhelming majority of the people who had just sat through that course in Romans answered the second question, if you stood before God and God said to you, why should I let you into my heaven? The vast majority of the people gave an answer something like this. Well, I tried to live a good life. I tried to live a good life. That is, they were basing their hope for heaven and their confidence for a meaningful relationship with God on their own performance. On yes. um, let's go over the facts. That's R.C. Sproul. He's teaching the book of Romans. Now, he's one of my heroes. He, he I consider to be one of the, the, the finest teachers of Scripture in the country. He is teaching the book of Romans to a group of 200 people. And he is, uh, they're teaching it for an hour and 45 minutes a night for 50 nights. Now, imagine that. What is that? Uh, you know, 90 hours? 90 hours of the book of Romans... And for some reason, now I don't know how he did this. He said there was a room full of 200 people, and he asked every person in the question in, in the room those two questions. And here's what the—I mean, I wrote it down. You heard it. The overwhelming majority of those people listening to the finest teacher of the Book of Romans in the United States for 90, for 75 hours missed it. Missed the entire message of the book of Romans taught by one of America's finest. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you do not have one of America's finest. You have one of America's elite, but not one of America's finest. <laughs> you, have, you do not have an R.C. Sproul teaching you. But I had been plodding through the book of Romans 35 minutes a night for how long? Nine years? seven years, whatever it's been. And it struck me when I listened to that story and I heard, what? What? <laughs> R.C. Sproul is teaching this book of Romans? And the overwhelming... He had heard all these great doctrines of justification by faith alone and he'd, got, he'd worked through Romans 3 and Romans 4 and Romans 5 and, and, and he had been, they had been taught for an hour and a half for let's say... 37 Sunday nights for an hour and 45. And then they, he goes to them and he says, if you stood before God and God said to you, why should I let you into my heaven? The overwhelming majority of the students missed it and pointed to some kind of works salvation. And I determined that day, ladies and gentlemen, that the first time that we were back together, of course we did the shack last week, but the first time that I had a chance, I was going to go through this again. I was going to present the, the bare, simplest presentation of the gospel that I could possibly figure out. Not because I think I, it, it, 
I, I want to I be able to stand before God and say, God, I, I tried to teach your people, but I may have confused them. And if I have confused you, you know, I'm sorry. I'm going to do better. But tonight, I'm not going to try to do anything complex. Just very, very simple. Okay? Just to try and avoid the, the disaster of people mishearing what the gospel is. Okay? All right, ladies and gentlemen. If you've ever taken notes before, you might want to take these. Because I'm going to put a little outline up here for you. And uh, I, could, I could do this in my sleep. Um, but I want you, I want to, I'm not, the simplicity of this is not because you're simple. It's because I'm stupid. I just want to make sure that I haven't muddied the waters for you. Okay? Okay, guys, first of all, we're going to talk just a, just a quick minute about grace. When Jim Kennedy first came to our home in September of 1970, Jim Kennedy visited our home. I was down in Fort Lauderdale selling Procter & Gamble products, and Susie, and I, Susie was miserable. She didn't know anybody but me, and that'll make you miserable. But uh, we visited this church, and, um, uh, and they wanted to come by and see us, and guess who came by to see us? It was D. James Kennedy himself. Brought two people with him, and the first thing that he said to us that night was that heaven is a gift. Um, You know, I really put that in the wrong place. Let me put that up here. Uh, Being a gift means that you don't deserve it and you can't earn it. Guys, you know what a gift is. A gift is something that I give because I love you. I mean, if I I gave you a gift um, and you tried to... If I, if I came to you and I say, you know, I really, you're really a nice person and we really love having you at this church. And so, um, you know, I've gone out and I've, I've bought you a, a wristwatch. I want to I wanna give you a wristwatch because uh, I th- think so highly of you. And you say, well, that's very nice, Dr. Young. And, and then you open the package and, and there's a wristwatch inside. And you, and you decide, um, uh, okay, well, this is kind of uh, awkward. And so you run back into the bedroom, get your purse, and you come in and you start paying me for the wristwatch. You wouldn't dream of doing that, now would you? Because if you did that, then it wouldn't be a gift. Ladies and gentlemen, the scripture says that heaven is a free gift. Um, In 3.23 and 6.23, 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. The first thing that struck me the night that Jim Kennedy entered my home is that word, gift. Because I had never heard it before. I've been raised in the church all my life. But I had never heard that heaven was a free gift. Which means it can't be earned and it's not deserved. Gifts are not things that you deserve because they cease to be gifts. Gifts are not things that you, you, you earn because they cease to be gifts. The Bible describes heaven not as something that you work for, that you earn or you deserve. The Bible describes heaven as a gift. For the wages of sin is death. But... The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Heaven is a gift. I remember going to bed that night and laying next to my almost, we have been married about three months, to my new wife. And I, I, I remember saying to her in bed that night, I said, I can't believe that something as wonderful as heaven is a gift. 
Because I thought you worked for it. I mean, you sang in the choir and you taught Bible studies and you gave a little money and you helped little old ladies across the street. And if you did that, then when you got to heaven, God would say, well, you're better than most. Come right on in. I didn't know that heaven was free. I didn't know that heaven was a gift. The second thing that we, um, we heard that night was some things about God. Two of them. Two things that we heard. We heard first that God is love. Well, everybody knows that. Everybody seems to say, well, you know, if, if my God is a God of love. Well, every, that's true. He is. It's, it teaches that twice in 1 John 4. It teaches it two times in 1 John 4. That's the only places it teaches it. But it does teach it in the New Testament. God is love. Yes. That's the truth. But it also teaches that God is holy. This thing we know, this one we don't. You know what holy means? The Bible says that God's eyes are too holy to even look upon iniquity. It's a word that basically means separate. That God is so separate from us, He's so different than us, that His eyes are so holy that He can't stand sin in His presence. The fact that God is holy means that sin is not allowed in His presence. Um, you know, this is something we like to talk about, but you don't hear a whole lot about this. Yeah, we know that God is love, but did you also know that the same book that talks about God being love, in fact... The overwhelming amounts of, I mean, in, in terms of comparisons of amounts of uh, information, it's heavily skewed on his holiness as opposed to his love. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, if you were to come up with one word that you would use to summarize the nature and the character of God, the Bible wouldn't use this word. It would use this one. One English word to summarize the nature of God, the Bible would say that one English word is that he's holy. And the fact that he is holy means that he can't stand sin in his presence. And the fact that he can't stand sin in his presence is not particularly good news for me and you. Because the third thing you need to hear is about us. The Bible talks a lot about man. But ladies and gentlemen, it's not very flattering. It doesn't have a whole lot of good things to say about us. In fact, it says all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It says there's none righteous, no, not one. It says that man is a sinner. And can't, he's a sinner, and he can't save himself. Okay? He can't save himself because of his sin. Guys, imagine, imagine if I were to commit three sins a day. Three sins a day. If I committed three sins today, that would be a real good day. I mean, um, I probably committed three good, uh, three sins before I got out of bed this morning. But let's just say I got it all narrowed down to three a day. Well, three a day is roughly a thousand a year. And a thousand a year for a 60-year-old man, 60 times a thousand. Oh, that's 60,000 sins. Now, let's imagine those things were traffic violations, speeding tickets, stop signs. And I took 60,000 traffic violations downtown to City Hall, and I looked at the judge, and I laid all 60,000 of them out on his desk there, and I said, <laughs> oops, uh, I'll do better. What would you expect that judge to do to me? Well, ladies and gentlemen, if he lets me, lets me go scot-free after 60,000 violations of the law, then you better get yourself a new judge because he's not a very good one. But because of my 60,000 violations, he would be obligated to some way punish what I had done. Ladies and gentlemen, I have 60,000 trans transgressions of God's law, and I'm going to stand before God, and he's going to say, hmm. You see, the fact that God is holy is not particularly good news for us. Because that means if he can't stand 
sin in His presence, and I'm a sinner, and a sinner in spades. I'm not just a small sinner. I'm a big sinner. You know, ladies and gentlemen, have you ever heard this? You know what the great commandment is? The great commandment, the teacher comes to Jesus and says, what's the foremost commandment of all? And Jesus says, well, the foremost commandment of all is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And the guy said, well, way to go, you got that one right. Well, if that's the great commandment, if the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, I haven't done that for 30 seconds in my life. There's not a 30-second period in my entire life where I have loved the Lord my God with all my soul, with all my heart, and with all my might. So if that's the great commandment and I haven't kept it, what does that make me? And that makes me the great transgressor. That makes me the one who violated the very heart and soul of what God expects. The fact that God is holy means he cannot stand to have sin in his presence and I'm a sinner. That means that I can't stand in his presence. There's a sense, ladies and gentlemen, in which God has a problem. And the problem is something like this. Uh, let's, this is not a Bible for, the, for our purposes. Let's say that all 60,000 of my sins are written down in here. All 60,000 of them are right in here. I don't want you to see this book either because it's pretty ugly. I don't want you to read this book. Because all my, all that say, it's ugly. But uh, here's Jimmy Young. And Jimmy Young wants to go to heaven. But there's a problem. That. And because God is holy, he looks at Jimmy Young, and because he's love, he looks at Jimmy Young and he says, you know, Jimmy Young, I love you. And I don't want to see you perish. But I got a problem. And the problem is your sin. Now, so what is God going to do? How is God going to handle that problem that, that confronts him over every, every one of us? I love you, Eric. I love you, Don. I love you, Jackie. But I can't stand your sin in my presence. What is he going to do? Well, he solved his, his, his problem, his own problem, in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, who is he? Well, he's the infinite God-man. He is God in flesh. He is, he is the second person of the Trinity that takes on flesh. He is God in flesh. Just as much God as the Father is. But here's, here's what he did. It's not just what, who he is, but what did he do? How did, what was Christ coming? What did that have to do with my problem? There's the problem. What does Christ have to do with that? Here's what happened. God says, Jimmy Young, I love you. I don't want to see you perish. But I got to do something about that. And here's what he did. He sends Jesus Christ to become flesh. And the scripture says, all we like sheep, we've gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord God has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ, the infinite God-man, God in flesh, comes to die for a debt that I owed. All of that 60, all of that that I owe for my 60,000 transgressions, the Father punishes Him 
for it. The Father can love me because He's punished my sin in His Son. That is, Jesus Christ is God's great remedy for my rebellious, wicked life. Now, there's just one final thing to say. The, the, the God is, doesn't want to see me perish, but His eyes are too holy to even look upon my iniquity, and i got a lot of it. So what does He do? He sends His Son to come die in my place. Who is He? Well, He is God in flesh. He's the infinite God-man. What did He do? Jesus Christ. Listen. Here's what Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ dies on a cross, pays for my sin, purchases a place in heaven for me, and then offers it to me as a free gift. Jesus Christ comes, lives the life that I should have lived, dies the death that I should have died, purchases a place in heaven for me, and then He offers it to me as a free gift. And ladies and gentlemen, in September of 1970, I took it. So did my wife. Both on the same night. We received the gift of eternal life. Ladies and gentlemen, I had been raised all of my life in the church. 22 years I've been raised in the church right down the street. 22 years I would have been to Sunday school. 22 years I'd sat in churches and, and wrote notes. Nobody in 22, maybe, maybe, maybe I should say, at least my ears couldn't hear it if they said it. Nobody ever told me that heaven was a free gift. I thought I was supposed to work for it. I thought I was supposed to earn it. I thought I was supposed to be a good boy. And so when I stood before God and He said, Well, Jimmy Young, why should I let you into my heaven? Well, I mean, God, have you not seen what a good guy I am? I mean, I'm not crummy like them. No, sir, Bobby, I'm a good boy. And God would be so impressed with my goodness, He'd say, well, yes, you're pretty impressive. You come right on in. I thought that's the way it operated. Jim Kennedy comes in our home that night and tells us, sorry, because you are a sinner, you don't deserve it and you can't save yourself. It's a gift. Now, guys, one final thing and I'm done. How does anybody, how did we, how do you, how do you receive the gift of eternal life. Well, guys, um, I, 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 how do you receive the gift? Of, how do you receive any? How do you receive any gift? You simply take it. You take it. You know, if I walk into your house and I've got a gift wrapped up for you, and then I want to give it to you, there's one way you take it. You reach out and you grab it, and it becomes yours. Guys, in, the, in, in biblical parlance, in biblical language, it is simply known as faith. Now, I, I should say this. Um, it's, a repent, it's a recognition, first of all, that I got a big problem because of, I got a big problem. And my, Jesus Christ is not just a friend of sin. He's not just a friend. He's a savior. He's not just somebody that comes alongside and counsels me. He's a savior. 
He is a friend. He is a counselor. Yes, he's all that. But he is predominantly a savior because that's what I need. I don't need a counselor. I need a counselor. I mean, I need a lot of things. I need a friend. I need a counselor. I need all. But what I primarily need when it comes to my standing before God, I need a savior. Jesus is a savior. So there's a recognition that this is the problem and that he's the solution. So how do I receive the gift that he purchased for me? I recognize my sin and I turn from it. And I lay hold to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to heaven. But I'm not going to heaven because I'm a good boy. Because I'm not a good boy. And you can ask my wife if you need any verification. I'm not a good boy. I'm going to have I'm going to heaven because a savior died in my place. Now one other thing before I quit. Guys, um you do understand, don't you? And this is the kind of language I use around here a lot. There's faith and there's saving faith. The Bible says the devil believes and trembles. The devil has a certain kind of faith, ladies and gentlemen, but it's not a saving faith. Let me tell you what that saving faith looks like, and we're finished. I remember years ago when we were living in Ocala, that's when uh, I had had the relationship with R.C., and um, but there was on the front page of the Ocala Star Banner, uh, that was the paper in in Ocala, the Ocala Star Banner, and uh, on the front page on a Sunday morning, there was a picture of a guy by the name of Carl Walenda. You might have heard of the Flying Walendas, the the great family of Walendas. It's a real family. I mean, they were tightrope walkers. And they, um, they would, you know, in, in this particular shot, they had, it was in the spring, and they had stretched a tightrope across Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia before one of the Phillies baseball games. It was early in the season, they were packing the stands, and so they stretched a, a tightrope across Veterans Stadium, the baseball field, and before the game, Carl Walenda, who was, I think, 71 at the time, he was early 70, walked across Philadelphia Stadium on a tightrope. Now let's imagine that we were there. That we were all there at that, to see this Phillies game and to watch Carvalinda do it. By the way, Carvalinda was killed in Puerto Rico. They had stretched a tightrope between two condominiums. He was 77 years old and he was blown to his death, uh, still doing the same thing. Um, but a gust of wind came up and blew him off the thing and killed him. But anyway, in 19, when he was 71, he was still crossing places. And so he's crossing over there, and we watch this guy, and we see him. With, I mean, we're just, we're just swept away with the excitement of all this. I mean, this is just the greatest thing ever. Watch this old dude get up there and, and that little tight tutu and, and, you know, just do this little thing across there and, and make it all the way to the other side. And we just, oh, this is great. And we erupt in, in applause when he gets down, and we sigh, this sigh of relief. Oh, that was great. And then Carl Linda goes to the microphone and he says, I appreciate your kind reception of me, but I got one more thing to do. I believe that I can cross Philadelphia Veterans Stadium with somebody on my back. And we think, I'm going to get double my money's worth today. Yes, sir. I can't wait to see that. I think you can do it too. You go on, do it. Go, man. I want to watch this. And out of the corner of his eye, Carl Linda sees you clapping comes over to you and he says, I uh, see that you um, are clapping about my crossing veteran stadium with carrying somebody. Oh, yeah, it's great. And he says, uh, well, get on. 
Now, ladies and gentlemen, you have a crisis of faith. I am here tonight to tell you that Jesus Christ can get you to heaven. And the only way that you will get there is through Jesus Christ. Trusting in Christ. You know, if if I get on with Carl Melinda, if he wobbles, I wobble. If he tips, I tip. If he stumbles, I stumble because, you know, he's my only ticket across there. And I'm telling you, the only ticket that you have into an eternity of felicity and bliss is the finished, accomplished work of Jesus Christ. I'm not asking you to believe intellectually that Jesus can do it. I'm asking you to get on. I'm asking you to fling yourself at Jesus Christ. Because, ladies and gentlemen, just because you've got some intellectual possession of the facts of the gospel, they will not save you. Facts don't save. A person saves. Jesus Christ saves. You know, guys, it's time to go. And there's not 200 people in this room. But according to that story of R.C., he went to all 200 of them. And he asked them, if you stood before God tonight, and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? I can't do that tonight, and you know I wouldn't dream of doing it. But here's what I'd like to do. In your mind's eye, eliminate everybody in this room but you. And I would like to come to where you're seated, and I'd like to catch you in the back of your retinas. And I'd like to ask you, if you were to die tonight, and you stood before God, and God said to you, why, why, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? overwhelming majority of the people in that room that night with R.C. Sproul as their teacher pointed to some kind of performance that they themselves had performed. That, ladies and gentlemen, will damn you. Trusting in Christ and Christ alone will any of us be received by the God who is holy. Let's quit. Father, forgive me that I have made the gospel uh, opaque. Forgive me that I have... um, been so enchanted with my own um, love of intricacy that I may have neglected to say that before. But I pray, O oh God, that now, if never in the past, if never in the future, that this group of people ever hear that message that they will hear it tonight. And Father, it's not because I've told it well. It's not because R.C. Sproul is such a great teacher. It is because of the work of your Holy Spirit that any of us will ever embrace 
Christ and Christ alone. So, Holy Spirit of God, do what only you can do. Give eyes to see and ears to hear the glorious good news that heaven is a free gift and Christ offers the gift of eternal life to all who will embrace Him and trust in Him and Him only. Lord, do that. Um, and give me greater abilities than I've had heretofore. And we ask it, of course, in Jesus' name.